Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Cover. Yes, we are back. I am your host, John Robb, of course, with my very fabulous co-host, Jeff Ayers. Jeff, how you doing? Doing great, and I uh, can't believe it's August already. Holy moly. <laughs> exactly. So we're back after a little over a month-long break, and we are back with two fabulous authors that combined together to wrote a book, uh, none other than authors John Land and Fabrizio Bacardi, and the book is called Dark Light Dawn, so make sure you guys can go check that out. It's available now wherever you buy books. So, you ready here, Jeff? Oh, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Here we go. So, John Fabrizio, thank you so much for calling in and being on. How are you guys doing tonight? Very good, very good. Thank you. From Las Vegas. Everything is great. Very hot here, very hot. And I don't want you to keep calling Fabrizio an author because if you keep calling him an author, he won't need me anymore. You know, oh, he's the idea right. guy. He's the concept guy. You know, this is this is going to make me. I'm going to be fired by the end of this show because he's not going to need me. I'm going to be like, I'm not. I'm going to be moot. I'm going to be superfluous. John, you will never Maybe. be mute, and you'll never be superfluous. Let me tell you that right now. That ain't happening. Uh, probably not. That's, that's true. That's true. But and by the just, way, yes. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just gonna just jump right into the book, but what do you want to say first before we do that? No, I wouldn't be able. You know, all these great ideas is because I have a mega mind. But uh, I'm just kidding with you. But I would never <laughs> be able to execute uh, without John. You know, it's a it's a very good uh, relationship that we have established. Uh, very friendly. And uh, we cooperate very well. So, you know, nice. we seem to put together amazing work. And, uh, you know, I'm very pleased with, uh, with uh, what, what we have done so far. Well, that's a great lead-in then. So the book is called Dark Light and Dawn. Um, it's a heart-pounding supernatural thriller. And that's kind of like we'll just put that little tagline on. So either one of you, why don't you guys kick it off and let us know what uh, readers are in store for here. I think they're in store for uh, a couple things. They're in store for a perfect meshing, a very original and unique messaging, uh, meshing of science and superstition. But this is horror in the classical sense. And what I mean by that is if you look at all great horror stories, they're all about the duality of nature, about good versus evil, and how it lurks in, to differing degrees in every person and how life is basically a struggle between those two extremes. If you think about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, if you think about Frankenstein, if you think about Dracula, if you think about any of the great horror novels, they're all about good versus evil, and in some cases within one person. So what we've done here is we've done something very ambitious in the sense that none of these, stories that deal with horror, that deal with good and evil, 
have actually explored the very origins of good and evil as forces of nature, as forces that have existed from, top, from the very beginning of time itself, that, it's, that they're out there. And, uh, and, you know, having read a lot of horror stories, basically everything Stephen King ever wrote, Dean Koontz in his prime, Robert R. McCammon, um, you know, when he was writing Pure Horror, Joe Hill in Nosferatu and, um, you know, and Heart Shaped Box, so many great modern horror stories. But none of them have done what we try to do in Dark Light Dawn, which is explore the origins of good and evil. Well, and actually, I was going to ask you about that, and this is to both of you. Um, when we think about evil, we think about certain things, and you do bring those things up, but also the good is kind of evil, and evil is kind of good, and I'm wondering about that line and how much you blur it, and often. Well, I believe that good and evil are actually energies. Um, you know, the way we see it in the book, uh, we depict it in the book, energies from the beginning of time, uh, you know, from the Big Bang, you know, potentially energy of the universe. And uh, we don't try to explain everything in the book because there's a lot of unknown in the universe. Uh, as a matter of fact, we don't know anything uh, or very little. You know, science uh, is very limited. Uh, paranormal activity is uh, a lot of superstition, but uh, in some uh, cases, a true reality. As you all know, in the Vatican, uh, they still have a department for uh, exorcism, uh, so something must be real. I just don't know the, I don't know what's real, what's not. I don't know the truth. I just know that as a human being, uh, we obviously now use uh, technology and all that. And what I tell uh, John all the time, we really don't have the answers. We don't know much. We just, you know, scratch the tip of the iceberg. Um, so we like to, in this book, uh, like to give some sort of um, entertaining um, um, story, concept uh, about what could be evil and uh, obviously uh, uh, what could be good in terms of uh, human nature, how we are. Uh, so, uh, and obviously we created this character that is extremely uh, engaging um, and conflicted. Uh, so um, um, I think the story, and, and obviously, uh, you know, I believe that every good story needs to have a lot of action. So we try to also bring that action element um, you know, as we've seen a lot of paranormal uh, books or even movies where uh, you usually have a couple of guys fighting uh, uh, huge forces of the universe, you know, the dark forces like uh, evil uh, things. And uh, uh, with a cross in a house, I mean, we've seen all those. We try to bring it to the next level, try to really imagine what could be uh, the coming of the Antichrist or, you know, in, a, in an action um, fashion, not uh, like in Damien, uh, more on an action fashion, and what could spawn that. So we try to give a new take uh, to to, uh, to to this uh, concept, and uh, we wanted to blend uh, science with superstition, because uh, superstition and science are often 
inexplicable. Um, as I mentioned, the universe is full of uh, mysteries that uh, we cannot explain, and I don't think we will be able to in the future either. You know, and I think what I, I think what we're what, what we're getting at is if you look at the character of the hero Max Younger, who's a Navy SEAL. You know, he's a hero. He's a good guy, but he has something lurking inside him. And every time we see him, everything he does, it gets a little stronger. It gets a little more powerful. It's the battle within himself. It's symbolic of the battle of, of, nature, of, of man's very nature, between the dark and the light, between good and evil. And the key point here, and this is something Fabrizio has stressed a lot it, 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 you know, in the past with me, and that is what ultimately triumphs is free will, because Max has a choice. It, it, evil is not forced upon him. Evil is inside him like everyone else. And I think that's a great, what, what makes all great horror, all great horror is metaphor, is metaphor for something else. It tells invasion of the body snatchers being a perfect example, a metaphor for communism and a metaphor for being afraid of who your neighbor might really be. In our case, Max is a metaphor for the duality of man, that People, are they, you know, was Adolf Hitler, did he, when he looked in the mirror, did he see the greatest mass murderer in history? Probably not, but that's what he was. How, what made him that way? At what do the great villains of our time become evil? What is it that makes them that way? Are they born that way? And how, what role does fate play? So in that sense, all these elements, are all elements of classic horror. But what we've done, to Fabrizio's point, is we've taken the fabric of horror and wrapped it in the tapestry, the landscape of a thriller. So Dark Light Dawn is a hybrid. It's both a horror and an action thriller. So it's the, we, what we're trying to get is the best of both worlds to tell our story in a very familiar format, which is the thriller form. So my question here is, so when Fabrizio kind of, and, and the way that it sounds that kind of Fabrizio maybe had the idea, you guys kind of came, yes. you kind of came with, you kind of came to John and then John was like, this sounds great. I'm going to take it on. And what John's very, very, very good at when he writes, of course, his, his Caitlin Strong books and, and his other series, Blaine McCracken, he is fabulous in character development. So when he sits down and figures out about Max and Victoria, and I'll say to you, John, what was it about those two characters when you started creating them that really got you excited about the book? I think it comes down to this. I can't answer you, you can't separate in this book character from structure. The fact that there are three flashback sections, in, instead of weaving the flashbacks into the story, and I know we have a lot, lot of writers who listen to the show, so I think they'll find this interesting. Instead of weaving the flashbacks into the chapters, we separated them out um, the way Hara has done, have long bulk chapters where you meet Max's father, you meet Victoria's father. And what appealed to me, and the reason I bring that up is, to answer your question, what appealed to me about these characters is how much they were prisoners of their own fates, of the, how they were prisoners of the actions that their fathers took. Then everything comes back. It's the, sin, the, the old thing about the sins of the fathers, and we take that to the next level. So it's a kind of thing where how does a person overcome their nature? How, does, how do you become better 
than than yourself. And the you know the thing is, Max and Victoria are both classical heroes in the sense that both have no they have no home base essentially. You know, one one's a Navy SEAL, the other works for the World Health Organization. They don't have grounding. They're on the move all the time. They're defined not so much by who they are initially, but by what they do. And then we start to see the connections because the first time you meet them, you don't necessarily realize that they're the children of the adults that you met in the first section. So there's a kind of thing where what's going on here? How do these characters connect to the people that we met in the first section? It's almost as good and evil as being struggling uh, to fight each other through their birth and through their lives. With good, obviously, um, at the end, uh, um, uh, winning over evil uh, because of love. Love beats it all. So the idea here is also that love is stronger than evil. Um, And that's why we have these two characters. Um, So, sorry, John, to interrupt you, but I wanted to No, that's an excellent segue, and, and, and I think that's the essence of the book, that this is a book about a relationship that's fated to happen. And, and, and it's this relationship that ultimately saves the world, but because Max makes a choice at some point to save Victoria. Making that choice is when he's, by saving Victoria, he is saving himself. By saving himself, he is saving the world. Again, it becomes metaphor. It's a very ambitious story, um, in terms of the of, a, of the, both the time that it covers in, in you know it starts off in 1991 or something and goes all the way to the present through the flashback chapters, but it's such a complex tapestry how everything falls together, and it's a risky book, John and Jeff. And, and why do I say that? Because it has so many points of view. I think there are five plot lines in this book, five different mm-hmm. characters who are yeah. telling their own stories, seeing it develop through their own eyes. Um, for, you know, Fabrizio and I both fell in love with the character of Father Jimenez, who's the investigator from the Vatican's Miracle Commission. That's, he's lost his faith because he's never really found a real miracle. goes on, we realize that he's always had a faded role to play in what's going on. He's kind of um, the eyes and ears of the reader in this book. He provides the perspective because the challenge, and again, I know there's a lot of writers out there. If none of these characters knows everything, the only one who knows everything is the reader because the reader is following all the plots at one time. So the fun right. of this book is, is kind of assembling this, 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 this complex puzzle. It's fitting all these pieces together. And, and this is the mark also of, of a lot of great films, great thrillers like The Usual Suspects, uh, where you don't, until the very final moment, you don't really realize the point of the story you've been watching, or in this case, reading. But to get back to what Fabrizio said, this book is driven by action. It's driven by some of the best action, most comp- uh, complex set pieces and action sequences that I've ever created and I did that you know this is the way Fabrizio is very visual and I think he'll you know and and this did this did not start off merely as a book it started off and then I'll say I'll let Fabrizio pick up 
it started as a vision for a major multimedia franchise. Isn't that right? You know, that, Fabrizio, am I stating that correctly? Correct, correct. So, as I, uh, as John knows well, my con- my 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 convention is that everything starts from a concept. And if you have a great concept, then you can develop from there and eventually build amazing properties, media properties. Uh, you know, with John, we have created the Tyrant series, uh, which are in the process to become a big film, uh, $80 million budget film. Um, wow. And, uh, and I intend to do the Can't same. Wait. And we have co- and comics also. And so we're doing the same thing with Dark Light Dawn. It came to me with an idea. I came with this idea because I thought we all intrigued, at least I am, with the exorcist and all this uh, evil and paranormal and ghosts and all those things. And I thought, I want to see it in an action environment. I want to see a seal being the devil coming, you know. I want to see geopolitical events. I want to bring it to reality. Um, It would be much more entertaining, I think than seeing a house uh, haunted by the devil or a priest fighting a, a demon with a cross. So we started with this idea. And then we bring in science because, again, in real, you know, I like to bring some reality, even though we're obviously very fictional in some ways. Um, but in reality, people would not be able to explain a certain things. Uh, and I told John, the less we try to explain things, the more credible we are because... We can't explain things in the universe. We cannot today in reality. And so I, we put this geopolitical events. We keep on reading the news about ISIS and all this uh, crazy people. Um, and so we picked uh, those areas of the Middle East. And I think that these guys, uh, that they behead people thinking to go to heaven, uh, they may have potentially a surprise when they die. They're not going to meet God, they're going to meet somebody else. And uh, that's, that's the idea. So, you know, they, they just create the perfect environment of hatred and, um, and um, you know, uh, evil uh, to bring, uh, to, to, to bring uh, uh, Maximilian to become what he's supposed to become because he was all meant to be. Uh, I think when Fabrizio you know, gets into the, the whole nature of ISIS, and it's an excellent point. ISIS shocked the world by doing things and, and, horrific, and filming them, horrific things that no one had ever done before, burning people alive, beheading people, and you could go on the Internet and watch these videos when they were actually doing it, and they were proud of doing it. It took evil to an entirely new level because it made us all witnesses to that evil. And, you know, it, it leads to a craving. The, the need for heroes arises out of great evil. Superman's comic books sold the, the greatest sales of Superman comic books were during World War II when Superman fought the Nazis. You know, because he was somebody who could do what we at that point were unable to do, to destroy evil. And I think what we've done here is taken the ultimate evil in today's world, which is ISIS. Now there's a lot of evil in today's world, but, but they're, the, the, how, the extremes they've gone to represent pure evil they it represents it's innocent people that they're doing this to not because of what they've done but because of who they are because of the religion and stuff like that when people are afraid they look toward something greater they want to believe in something more 
So why not give them, if there is evil, and evil is not the devil, and good is not necessarily just God, but they are conflicting forces of nature. And if there is evil, then there must be good as a force of energy, as something that's out there. So this gets into the ambition of dark light. The ambition of, dark, of the story uh, of Dark Light Dawn is rooted in an entirely new definition of what good and evil really are, how they originated, and, and, and the battle they've been waging against each other for since the dawn of time itself. That's where it started, and it continues to this day. Well, what I want to throw in here is, without the love, I think this book ultimately would have failed. And I think by bringing that element in, point. it made it all work. So I wanted to let you guys know that. But um, um, Fabrizio, you mentioned the Tyrant series, and I absolutely love those. And for the love of God, get the movie made, get the comics out, please. But I have a question for you specifically. <laughs> Are you Michael Toronto? Oh, you know, um, my background is, uh, it's a good question. Yeah, my background is um, I've been an entrepreneur all my life. Um, I always created situations. Um, even when I didn't have a penny in my pocket when I was 18 years old. I have done a lot of amazing things, and um, I always thought bigger, and I always took a lot of chances. And so that's why, and then ultimately, I tell you what, uh, the Tyrant series was created, spawned by my ventures in Las Vegas. Uh, at the time, in, two, you know, in the early 2000s, I started to invest in gaming in Las Vegas. And a couple of times I missed out to uh, owning uh, big properties that would have made me a ton of money. I was um, able to put them in escrow. I was fighting my way up into the club of Las Vegas, a very close one. And I came from nowhere pretty much. Uh, so I was not uh, officially a member. Um, and so what happened is in 2003, 2005, I did a big battle to take over a casino company called Riviera. And I was uh, successful, but unsuccessful to actually take over the casino uh, for a variety of reasons beyond my control. Uh, I had a lot of forces working against me. People tried after me to take over that property, which actually were two casinos, one in Vegas, one in Blackhawk, Colorado. And even big edge funds tried after me, and they did not succeed. The reason why is because the management was entrenched didn't want to sell. So to make a long story short, after that experience, um, my idea was to take over Riviera and re-theme it uh, as the seventh sense, um, bring a new brand to Las Vegas and, and gaming and entertainment. And um, so what happened is I did a bunch of plans at the time. I spent a lot of money with, attorney, with, the, with architects. Uh, so when I failed to take over, I decided to uh, come up with a new strategy. Uh, you see, I'm a person that can take uh, shortcuts or long cuts. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if it takes me another 10 years. If the market uh, would allow it, if the gaming industry will still be as strong as it used to be, as I think it is today, I will make that move. 
And uh, at this point, uh, we developed with John, we started this idea of Michael Chirano. So going back to the question, why is Michael Chirano compared to you? Is because uh, some of the background in the book of his uh, rising, um, it's uh, loosely inspired by my experiences in, in, uh, in business. You know, I started from Africa, too. I used to go in the jungles and buy coffee and cocos and sugar cane. Uh, when I was in my teens, I mean, 18, 19 years old. Uh, then I came to America and I tried to build the seven things we actually build uh, in, the, in the books and in the film. So that's how he's loosely inspired. And then he has this relic, uh, which is obviously very mysterious and mystical, we come to find out in the film, um, that I created as the symbol of our gaming uh, brand at the time. So obviously everything evolves and improves with the time. Uh, uh, but I am uh, definitely uh, interested to establish the gaming uh, casino if the franchise hits uh, at, the, at the theaters. Uh, so obviously, and I think, Jeff, I think what what's interesting here is when you look at the character of the tyrant, Michael Toronto, a character who is also du- who has a dual nature of good and evil. Max Younger, the hero of Dark Light Dawn, is kind of an extension of Michael Toronto. He's a similar character. He's just the next level. Dark, you know, Michael, the, the Seven Sins and Black Scorpion flirted with ideas of the supernatural and the mystical through the relic medallion that Fabrizio just mentioned. In Dark Light and Max Younger, we take that to the next level. And the great fun I had, because as you know, someone who's read every book I've ever written, as you know, I've never really tried my hand at horror before. And the great fun of writing this book for Fabrizio, writing with actually more with him than for him, writing Darklight was a great experience because for the first time, I could do anything I wanted. I didn't have to explain stuff. I could just do it and then figure out the, the rationale for it later because in horror you don't have to explain everything and by the way when, when we started talking right. about this book this concept um, and uh, we didn't invent this if you look at a book like Firestarter by Stephen King you ha- it is a, a superb action thriller that has the supernatural element and the scientific element of a young girl because of what scientists, right. evil scientists did to her parents she can start fires. So you've got yep. science, you've got superstition, you've got government agents tracking um, this, this father and daughter right from the first page. John Ferris wrote a classic book that was made into a brilliant film by Brian De Palma called The Fury, in mm-hmm. which yep. you know, a, a sinister government organization that doesn't even have a name uses telekinetic or, or you know, Teenagers who've developed a sixth sense, they, they weaponize them, and that becomes the story. That's what we're doing in Dark Light when we wanted to create this new kind of book, this new kind of genre that is kind of the best of both worlds. Well, let's, let's jump ahead a little bit, and let's talk about whoever wants to kind of go first. What, uh, is, what's next on your plate? In terms, John, you want to? Uh, you're talking about books, or about because 
Yeah, about I, books. I, whatever you guys got of... coming up that you just want to just you just want to talk about and mention that you know people can maybe branch out and find something else. Uh, you know that you might have done or that you're going to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I think you know. Ahead, I think Brent. that you know we we've left that both the the second book in the Tyrant series, um, and which is Black Scorpion, and the first book in, in the Max in, in the Maximilian series, which is Dark Light Dawn. Both end totally open ended, and we're leaving the possibility of a, a sequel. But I think what um, the, the great thing about both these series is they're essentially comic books brought to life in the imagination of the reader. They're superhero franchises but in different ways. Michael Toronto is a superhero in one way. Max Younger is a superhero in another way. Where Fabrizio's genius in, in, in conceiving these ideas comes from is the idea that he didn't have a comic book, and a comic book is a very, very difficult thing to launch and get off the ground. It's like a movie. It could take 10 years to get going. So the IP of, of these franchises, of these, ma- of these multimedia franchises, started with the books. And now I think they need to, make, they need to grow a little bit. Um, you know, we've got to get, I think once we get the Tyrant movie to the next stage where it's actually in production, right now it's in development, then the sky's the limit because I think then we'll want to do a third Tyrant book. But I think the door will then be open to do the second Dark Light Dawn book. But the value to me and I think the Fabrizio of these books is not just what's on the page. It's what will grow out of what's on the page. So we, we need to let that play, play out a little bit. Um, you know, we've explored ideas for the next in both series, but we haven't really put pen to paper, so to speak, yet, or well, fingers to keyboard. What I like to say to add is that uh, we do have uh, quite a bit of interest uh, from uh, publishers worldwide, uh, we did license uh, the tyrant in a couple of countries already. Everybody's waiting for the film. Everybody tells me it's film material. When are you shooting? We want the right. Um, the thing is that Hollywood is a very tricky place, as you well know, probably. Um, Hollywood oh yeah, is I'm, I'm, I'm very place. close to Hollywood, and I, I hear about it from different <laughs> people all the time. You know. Yeah. And so Hollywood is what we bring, you know, my approach to Hollywood is a little unconventional. Um, I obviously own the rights, but I also bring money. And that gives me a leverage. Uh, you know, for the tyrant, we have attached uh, Moritz Borman, Terminator producer. Then we disagree creatively and we terminate him, you know, just like Terminator ah. with Terminator. So then uh, we move on and we sign a deal with Relativity Media because we finance all development. We told Relativity, we own all the rights. You don't have anything until you cut the check to greenlight it. And then they went bankrupt with for $1.2 billion in liabilities. So now we uh, attach uh, Chuck Russell, which is, uh, who is the director of big movies like uh, Scorpion King, The Mask, uh, and so many others, very successful uh, director is very very excited. We're working with him on on on, on finalizing the screenplay. Um, the Tyrant series screenplay is it's been always a challenge because we have such a rich material, and uh, we have so much story that you know we were going crazy to determine what this film needs to be, and we all agree that if we don't hit 
at the box. I am one of those that don't believe in formulas or algorithms, okay? There's only one way to make money in movies. They've got to make money at the box office, okay? And more and more they don't. And more and more they don't because there's no passion. And most producers, they just want to make a, a check and pay some money, get paid some money. They, ultimately, there's no passion anymore. That's what I experienced in Hollywood uh, among the big, uh, the big movie makers. And uh, rare, good material is very rare. Vision is extremely rare. And so at this point, as I mentioned, we come in and we have a different approach. And we're getting to the finish line. But you have no idea the battles and how many times I had to turn down proposals that they would make the tyrant a crappy film and it would have ended there. So I keep on saying I'd rather wait, do it right, uh, than do a movie. I don't, need, uh, I don't need to make uh, payments. I don't need to pay the mortgage, thank God, or to pay the rent. We're going to have to have a blockbuster or we're not going to do it, period. I do, I believe so you better hurry up. Well, we all want to hurry up. But, you know, I tell you, it takes time. If you look at the history of this big film, um, it takes, uh, you know, we are within the time frame. I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean took, you know, 15 years. Star Wars, nobody wanted to touch it. The best movies took a long time to develop because the easy ones, they are the crappiest ones. Those are made all the time. And you wonder why, because nobody watches. You know, they gross three tickets to the box office. And, um, and you wonder why, right? You wonder why. They, you, you know, the first thing that people should have in the filmmaking business is common sense. I should call it rare sense. But anyway, um, we're doing this. We're moving forward. We'll get it done. And Dark Light Dawn, I believe, has that same potential. I think everything starts from an idea that is commercial, that people want to go see. Obviously, the execution could kill it 50 times if we get the wrong casting. I'm one of those that believe casting can make you or break you in film. Um, so I will be very careful in choosing the casting uh, for Dark Light and for uh, Tyrant. So, uh, but uh, I think the idea is a winner. The execution is key. Um, we just started now. We were waiting for this book to be published. We just uh, recently completed, and uh, now we're starting to discuss it and uh, and see where is the potential in TV or or film. Um, but uh, I believe that uh, basically we wanted to bring a new take. I honestly haven't seen anything like Darlight, and I. I've seen a lot of movies, and I force myself to see every movie because I want to see what the competition does. There's nothing that even come close to uh, the concept of having a uh, human being uh, becoming, it's not your traditional, let's put it this way, it's not your traditional antichrist, where he's uh, doomed to, number one, he's doomed to fail, we already know that, and then he's doomed to... Uh, destroy everything on his path. Um, our character is much more complex as usual, and uh, there is an evolution. And then ultimately there is free will, because I believe that as human beings, we all can make a choice. We all have a choice. The struggle and between good and all great stories of good and evil begins in the soul of the characters. The best example of that is, they, they, in the movie Frankenstein, when you refer to Frankenstein, you're always talking about the monster. But we all know that 
the monster had no name. When you say Frankenstein, you're talking about the doctor who created it. So who was the real monster? Was it the man who subverted nature? Or was it the poor victim who didn't ask to be created the way he was? He just was. Jekyll and Hyde is the most clear example of the duality and the good and evil that lives in all of us because it's a scientific experiment that goes awry. And Dr. Jekyll can no longer control himself. He starts becoming Mr. Hyde more and more and more. We see this in the fascination with zombies, with werewolves, with vampires, transition, transformation, because all great horror stories, or I shouldn't say all, but a great number of them, are about metamorphosis. They're about transformation. And what we see in Dark Light Dawn is a transformation of Max Younger from one kind of being into another kind of being. And then the battle within his nature to see which side, good or evil, will win ultimate control. And obviously the love ultimately wins. I believe in that. Yes. And that's why I would put this almost like, um, I'd like to say, almost like an Adam and Eve, you know, idea. Uh, the basis of this concept, you know, there has to be the love that makes, uh, that makes Maximilian do the right thing and choose uh, the right thing. That's a good point. Right. Yeah, well, I, I have to say it's been a fascinating conversation, and I'm sorry we have to wrap things up. But uh, I wanted yeah, to say, first of awesome. all, Thank when you. they start making the tyrant movie, let me know where and when so I can sneak on the set and help out. I don't care about the <laughs> cater or getting people coffee. I'm just saying. We'll send you an invitation <laughs> to the premiere. Believe oh, me, thank awesome. you. I love it's that. A, a greatness <laughs> is hard to achieve, but I believe that, honestly. If it's too easy, it's uh, not good. <laughs> I'm sorry to say that. I love luck. <laughs> luck I, I want lots of blessings and a lot of luck, but sometimes you have to fight to do amazing things. And I tell you, we're doing that, and I'm very convinced it will be. Look, I want to say this to all the readers, to all the viewers, and to all the listeners, it will be a blockbuster. The reason why I say this now is because once it becomes a franchise, then everybody say you got lucky. I ain't got lucky. I worked my butt off and uh, right. a lot of work and a lot of guts. So remember that. I know he's on, uh, on phone. That's right. Land. You got John. Yeah. Well, and, and seriously. And sometimes he doesn't like to, to hear me, but I tie him up and he listens to me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it needs to be done right, and I'm glad to hear that you guys realize that. So thank you for that. Um, and I want thank to mention the so new much. book, Dark Light Dawn, is out today. So go to your store and go pick it up because it is a fun read. And uh, so, John and Fabrizio, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been an absolute thrill. Thank you for having us. Thank you Thanks very for much. having us. Always a pleasure. All right, well, we want to thank you guys again. Enjoy. Don't. Uh, we'll let you know, and uh, we'll send you the invitation. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Hey, I'm in Thanks. Hollywood, Come so I'll on. probably just be able to walk over to the premiere. So just let me know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, All have right. a great evening, guys. Have a good one. All right. Take care. So again, everybody, that is author John Land with creator Fabrizio Bacardi. And the book is called Dark Light Dawn, out today, just came out today. So however you buy books, you can find it in the format of Kindle hardcover. It is out right now. You go to Amazon and pick up your copy. So 
fabulous conversation, John. It's always great to be able to get a little more in-depth and be able to have both of them on to kind of hear the both sides of not just the creation and the writing and how everything kind of came together. I thought that was great. What do, I, what do you think? Well, it was a lot of fun, and um, having Fabricio on was a, a, an extra thrill. So yes, thanks for arranging absolutely. that. That was great. Yeah, that was great. I mean, John kind of t- emailed me and said he's got this going on, and then he talked about his other book, which I think comes out in December, I think he said. Uh, we're going to get yes. something together for that one, too. And then I was like, well, yeah, let's let's go and talk about this, because, you know, it is his first horror um, novel that he's gone after, and it's kind of a little bit different thing for him. So I think it was great to be able to see uh, – see him uh you know do something a little different and step out of that zone but he still wrote the thriller style which is still him so he kept that oh yeah absolutely and he he is one of the best in terms of writing action too so yep it's great well speaking of writing you had a busy july because you were at thriller fest and pnwa thriller fest of course in new york and then the week after was pmwa which people don't know is the pacific northwest Writers Association, and so that's in Seattle every year. It's going to be in September next year if people are interested. So give us a little background of, of how both conferences were, because I saw you at PNWA, well, but I did not go to Thriller Fest. Yeah, uh, Thriller Fest was uh, as awesome as always, and um, Lee Child was you know, the main star this time, and they just did a really nice job with some wonderful panels. I ended up moderating four and sitting on another, and it was nice. just, it was hectic and amazing. And the people there who run it are just wonderful. So if and, you and just love thrillers, get your butt there. Next and, and year is George R. R. Martin, if you can believe that. And what panel were you on, uh, Jeff? Oh, I was on a book review panel, that, and then I moderated a book review uh, panel. others. A book review <laughs> panel. That was the yeah, panel I know that you I was going to be on, but I, but I said I, I said I couldn't make it to, so I, I had no. Uh, who else was on that panel? Was there anybody else on that panel, or was there somebody who didn't show up on that panel? <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth. Let's just say um, it was it, it was uh-huh. a very interesting panel, and it always is. And John Land actually moderated it and uh, did a great yeah, job. Yeah, he's great when he does that too, because he he he's a really good moderator when he kind of walks around and he kind of really gets into it instead of. A lot of moderators, you know, you just kind of stand behind the podium and just kind of let things go. He likes a lot more interaction, which which I always find um, is, is is really good because it kind of gives me a little more energy, you know, for those things when I talk. But right. um, I got um, some. The, was the highlight for me was moderating a uh, the Thriller Master oh, yeah, panel. Big so I had Sandra Brown, I had Nelson DeMille, David Morrell, Lee Child, Heather Graham, and R.L. Stein, and it was probably what amazing. Two hundred and two hundred and fifty million books sold on that panel, maybe more. Um, more than million, that. Maybe. Three, four, four hundred yeah, million. I, maybe? I, I calculated it was close to uh, like seven hundred fifty million. Holy shit! Seven hundred fifty million on that panel. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, and uh, you know, between all of them, they're close to James Patterson. That's true. <laughs> well, you mean <laughs> in the amount of books written all combined, right? With with Patterson. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one too. And then we went to PNWA, and um, Shannon and I were there, and, and we both got sick. I got sick kind of um, starting yeah, Thursday night that. when we went to the Mariners game, and then into Friday and Saturday, and then I started feeling – I felt really bad on Friday. Um, Saturday I started feeling a little better, and Shannon's doing feeling a little worse. And then Sunday we, I was 
finally out of it. But yeah, it was uh, it was great, and we took some pictures. We've gotten some books and already in, and some queries and some chapters. And the one thing that we always say, which people just don't seem to quite grasp the concept of the word editing. Um, they just don't know really what that means, I guess. Because That's too they don't they don't do it. Um, so what I thought I would do is I, I would say this. This is the word edit. Prepare. Prepare. This is from dictionary.com. Prepare for publication by correcting, condescending, or otherwise modifying it. Or condensing. My fault, not condescending. <laughs> condensing. Yeah, I have to edit Boy. my fucking self here. <laughs> by correcting, condensing, or otherwise modifying it. Choose material well, for a movie, radio, telephone program. Arrange it to a form, a coherent whole. But the number one word in that is prepare. Please. Well, what we actually uh, did a panel, the two of us at PNWA, and what I said to everybody in the room was, this is a job. You don't send a resume in for a job you want that's not the best it can be. So why would you do that with a book? And that's where you got your new nickname, Bubba. That's right. (laughs) Yes, thank you for that. From that freaking story. (laughs) <laughs> but that's the thing, that's true. I mean, what you said was so true. And I don't think it's a job because you're making money, you're working, you're putting your time in. Whether or not you're putting forty hours a week in, which you very well could, if you're if you're if this is your job, I guarantee you, you know, like we've heard, you know, Allison Brennan and John Land, they're putting forty hours a week in in their writing. I mean, oh, minimum least. that you know they're, they're they're putting forty hours a week, so it's a full time job. So yeah. it just makes. It just depends on how well you want to do your job. I mean, that's what it boils yeah. down to. You, you're either going mm-hmm. to do a half-assed job or you're going to go full in. You're going to do a good job. And the ones who do the good jobs get the promotions, get the raises. And the ones who do the half-assed jobs are the ones always going home complaining why they didn't get the promotions and the raises. It's the same thing with authors. The ones who put their necks and do the work and do it correctly – sell books, make money, and make a living off of it, while the other ones just complain and moan and groan, why am I not as big as Lee Child? Well, I can tell you in two words, but you know, you're not going to listen to me because I've already told you what to do, and you're still not going to listen to me. So why do I keep saying the same thing over and over, right? Well, yeah. And, and I, th- I think exactly. people just, um, when it comes to their own work, either they're afraid to have other people give them honest opinions or... They think it's perfect, and you got to get some feedback you, and get it from someone that you necessarily – not your mom, because your mom's like, oh, it's so sweet right. and nice. No, you need someone who's got this stinks, and this is why. You want right. to make it the I best mean, it can be. I want you to tell everybody again. I mean, just say again. Your book finally got picked up by Tor Forge, the, the Galileo. The Galileo, what's the, what's the final name going to be? Uh, the Galileo Disclosure. The Galileo Disclosure. Okay, so yes. how many times was this book edited before it finally got bought? I did probably at least 20 rewrites, and it was seen by six different people for editing purposes. I right. wanted it to be perfect. Yeah. 20 rewrites. 
six yes. different people edited this book, and yes. none of the, And how many of how many of those six was your mom, your wife, your daughter, your son, your uncle, your aunt? You know what I mean? How many of those six were those people? None. Right. And how many of those six hurt your feelings when you got the book back and they told you what was wrong with it? Um, all six. Right. But you get over <laughs> it. And now yeah. you have your contract. I, I, I joke and I said, you know, when I saw the manuscript come up and I saw all the track changes on it, I had an epileptic seizure with all the red on my screen. Exactly. You were like, what just blood on my computer? Yeah. And honestly, now that I've sold it, it's still going to go through at least one more rewrite probably too because that's how it works. Yeah. Because when and the if book, it makes the book better, I'm happy. How long? And they're looking at how oh, we're long looking before, two years. before it comes out? Yeah, two years. Two years. So yeah. you're going to get it back, Breath and, and wait, you're going to have to change say. some things. Yeah, and you're going to get it back, oh, and you still have to change some things and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a continuous cycle. And I just don't think that people really, really, truly understand what all that means. And I think that's why they're not as successful. They don't have the patience. They rush to get it out. They think that it's great. They make bad choices sometimes with going with other publishers when they're too headstrong to figure out that the book might not be good. And so then they're like, no, I'm going to publish it anyway. They go with somebody else. They're not going to have a good experience. And they're going to wonder why. And the one thing that they need to do is just look themselves in the mirror because you're, most of the time you're your own worst enemy. Well, and if you have a bad experience and it's because the writing is not good and you want to do this as a career, you've got to change it because yeah. you've turned readers off. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so. Well, have you seen uh, – you just saw – What a cheery uh, note. Today, Thank didn't you. you? <laughs> What's that? I said you just That's saw right. a movie today, dude, didn't you? I saw – yes, I saw Dunkirk. How was it? Um, it's amazing. It's uh, Christopher Nolan is a genius when it comes to directing movies. I got to tell you, um, I, I've heard some complaints about the movie, the, and the, the reason why he told it the way he did, I totally was on board with it, and I totally get it. But I can see why some people would be upset about it. But um, I did see it in the big IMAX, and my ears are still bleeding because I mean, it was, <laughs> great holy cow, loud, yeah, yeah. Now and then you yeah, saw you saw Spider-Man very too, well didn't done. You? Oh, Spider-Man: Homecoming, yes. Yeah, my daughter saw that. I haven't seen it yet, um, but she What's said, "Now this is now." You tell me if you agree. She goes, "It's the best first Spider-Man that's come out for the series." I would agree with that. So she's basically saying this is better than the first Tobey Maguire and the best Andrew Garfield. Oh yes. Uh, she I, also I said she will not understand the first. She goes, you will not understand the first five to ten minutes if you've not seen the movie Civil War. That's also correct. So there she goes. She is two for two. I'm going to start having her <laughs> freaking do movie reviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, thanks. I've just been fired. I appreciate that. Um, no, you are fired. So you're you're in addition to because she watches some other stuff that you don't watch. So it's a collaboration. We're going to just have more. Now, she'll be bored. Oh, she'll okay. never write one. It won't make a difference. See, now you're rehired. <laughs> well, thank you. Now, um, the nice thing, the really good thing about Spider-Man Homecoming is I would say it has the best villain of the franchise so far, of all of them. Vulcan? Vulcan? A vulture. 
Vulture. Oh, I thought it was Vulcan. No, that's Spock. I know that. His name is, oh, his name is Vulture. Oh. Yeah, it's the Vulture, and Michael Keaton My is fault. amazing. I yeah, I don't know why I thought Vulcan. I don't know. It's I, all right. I got stoned before Star I got Trek on the air. Just talk to me. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, I tried. I mean, I got stoned before I came on the air, so give me a break. Um, okay, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> so, August 22nd is our next show. Uh, who's going to be on, Jeff? Uh, we have E.J. Copperman coming on to talk about his humorous mysteries. And uh, they are extremely funny and also very good. So looking forward to having him on the show. I, I'm trying to remember. I, I, God, which one did I read? Uh, hold on. Let me let me look. Let me look. Let me look. <laughs> yeah, the new one is uh, yeah. ah, written off. The first one in the new suit. Which one? Written off. Okay. I knew I had yeah, one. I just new one, I forgot the name of it. The new one is called The Dog Dish of Doom, and it's the first in a new series. Ooh, nice. I don't, I don't think I got that one, but I'll have to look it up. So August 22nd, that's yes. the time, and we're going to be back. And then we're going to be back with her every other week. We'll have some new guests. We'll do some new things. We'll... Who knows what we do? That's the whole fun. You just never know what we're going to show up. I mean, at least you're going to have somebody to talk to. But other than that, who knows what comes out? We just don't know. (laughs) That's that's what we get when we've got uh, each other on the show, I guess. That's that's true, yeah. Our panel was kind of like that, too. But we had fun. I mean, we had a good panel. I I don't know how much you heard about it, but I didn't hear anything about it. I mean, I did have people come up and was like, oh, you know, thank you so much. You did this, you did this, and, you know, they helped. But what, what did you hear? Did you hear anything good? Um, I heard great things. People were very pleased that we were upfront and honest about the whole things we talked about. You think they're going to want us to come and, back? Um, and I do have a recording of it if you want it, too, by the way. Ooh, yeah. Um, so do you think uh, PNWA wants us to come back next uh, September and do something else again? Um, I would guess so, but um, you know, it's up to up to Pam, who runs the organization. Right. Yeah, I'm sure we can think of something. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Absolutely, be good. Maybe we'll talk comic books. No one talks comic books. We do that. We'll do. We'll do our famous Star Wars versus Star Trek show. (laughs) (laughs) I'll lightsaber your ass, and then you can, you know, do whatever it is Star Trek people do. I don't know. I got the force. Well, hey, Discovery premieres uh, next month. Can't wait. Uh, Which one? Star Trek Discovery. Is that a new show? New TV show? Yes. Oh, I didn't even know. What station is it going to be on? Like regular prime time? It's going to be streaming, but it will premiere after the football game on CBS on September 24th. Is it uh, online to look at the trailer? Is it going to be on Netflix or a Prime or is it just Hulu or Uh, It's on CBS All Access. Oh, you got to join the CBS to you got to buy the CBS thing to get it, huh? That's correct. Oh, well, yeah. Um, hopefully it's good. Hopefully it's worth the money because I know you're going to buy it. Oh, well, I already have, so yeah, I'm ready to yeah, go. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we'll see you August 22nd then. So three weeks from today sounds fabulous. You have a great one. All right, you too. Thanks and uh, it's good night, everybody. A Thanks for coming back. Good night. Keep reading. See you in three weeks.